Good morning again, Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor. We are thankful that we can be together this morning to worship. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, Uh, but we're not waiting around, so we're right into Christmas. Uh, Today marks the first Sunday of the Advent season, and if you're new here or you're not familiar with Advent, Advent's going to be the four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas culminating with the Christmas Eve service. And so throughout church history, believers have set aside these four Sundays to put special attention, special focus, not just in the gathering of the the body of believers, but in their personal lives, uh, that we would turn our attention to the the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to do. We recognize that there's all sorts of things that are coming at Christmas. The word Advent comes from a Latin word, adventus, meaning coming. And, and we recognize there's all sorts of things that we love and we get excited for at Christmas. Uh, our family loves going to the Messick Light Show, which I think, I think they're still doing it. That's good. Thank you for the nod. Uh, decorating the tree and the cookies and the parties. Th- there is a lot of anticipation at Christmas But what Advent is trying to do is that our excitement and our anticipation of coming is is not merely all these other things, but it is the coming of Jesus Christ, born as a baby. And so that's what we want to do for Advent. We want to encourage you to stay focused on Jesus, that amidst all the hustle and bustle, the parties, the the gifts, the, the, the craziness of the schedule, that This is a significant time in the life of the church as we prepare and celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christmas in one verse. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so we want to encourage you this Christmas. Keep your mind focused on Jesus. To do that as a church, we'll do a couple of different things. Each of the next several Sundays during Advent, we're going to focus on Christ's coming. This this year, our series is going to be called Rejoice. It's a series where we look at the familiar Christmas carols that we love, and we, we look at the words and the songs that we're so used to singing, and we seek to find the biblical foundation of these songs. Where is Christ in the song? Where is the gospel? And the hope would be that as, as we look at these carols, and as we look at God's word, that we would have a greater appreciation of these songs that we're so used to singing. And so each week we'll do a different carol. We'll close the service uh, by singing the carol that we've discussed. And we'll do this, uh, we'll, we'll meet on Christmas Eve. Um, and so we'll have two services on Christmas Eve, 4 and 5.30. Again, the hope is that this is a celebration, the culmination of all the anticipation that we've had all month coming together on Christmas Eve, two services, um, 4 and 5.30, that we can celebrate the coming of Christ. We will also meet on Christmas morning this year, um, a laid-back, uh, Christ-honoring uh, later than sometime, later at 10.30 service, so that's the same hour. A um, couple other things that we'll do every week, we'll do an Advent reading like the Powells did this morning, uh, and we'll light a candle as we, again, are anticipating the coming of Christ. The Christ candle is the, the white candle in the middle, 
um, which will be lit on Christmas Eve, but it's a symbol. It's a picture. Jesus is the light of the world. And the anticipation of the candle being, all the candles being lit, the same type of anticipation that we have, that Christ has come and he is coming again. And we also want to encourage you in your family time, in your personal time, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, to take some time this month, every day, turning your heart and turning your mind to Christ. That, that we know it is busy and it is crazy, but th- this is the coming that we are focused on. Jesus has come to save us as sinners. And so this year we've given out Advent devotionals, some for families, we have some for individuals, uh, but we, that's our Christmas gift to you. And our hope is that, that you and your family uh, would turn your attention to Christ. You know, our family after dinner, every night we'll open up our devotional. We'll do an Advent calendar with some fun activities. We have a website uh, on our church website with some of those activities. If that's where you want to start as a family, do an Advent calendar. Wherever you are, we just want to encourage you to start somewhere uh, that our focus would be on Christ this Christmas. To that end, let's turn to his word. Let's turn to God. Our song this morning is going to be, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And our text of scripture is going to be Luke 1, 46 through 55. I'm going to read the verse, or read the song, trying not to sing it. And you can follow along to the, the five verses of the song on the screen behind me. And then I'll follow that with our reading from Luke. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou dayspring from on high, Cheer us by thy drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, king of nations. Bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that this Advent, these next four Sundays, God, that you would help us. We are easily distracted. 
We are easily stressed. We are busy. This is a fun season. But God, I pray that you would help us turn our hearts and our minds and our focus to you. And so whatever that means, God, for our families, for individuals, God, that you would help us to turn to you. And so, God, this morning as we look at this beloved Christmas carol, as we look at Mary's words in Luke 1, God, I pray that you would teach us. Teach us about rejoicing. Teach us about anticipation, about waiting, about patience. Because, God, we, we struggle. We struggle. For many of us, Christmas is a challenging season, amplifying what we don't have or what we've missed. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we look to this carol and we look to your word, that you would encourage us and equip us to leave this place this morning, that we would be able to, like those in the song, rejoice and rejoice. It's in the name of Christ we pray this morning. Amen. So I realized as I started thinking through this series with the different songs and different carols, I realized that I don't have a really good memory when it comes to lyrics in songs. Even the songs, the really common Christmas songs like Rudolph and Frosty, I don't know the words to these songs. I feel like I'm sharing something that I've just realized. I've been, because this with this series, I've been listening to the words of songs. I've been, for the not for the first time, but really thinking through the things that I'm hearing, and I'm realizing that I don't know a lot of the words to these classic Christmas songs, and I don't know why my kids laugh at me. I don't know why my brain doesn't remember lyrics, but as I've started to really listen to these songs, we drove down to North Carolina uh, for Thanksgiving, and we drove home yesterday. had lots of time to listen to Christmas music, um, and I've started listening to the words of these songs, and I realized we sing a lot of very weird Christmas songs. As I'm listening to the words that we're singing, Ashley and I were discussing one particular song that just, I never listened to the words that we sing. The song is uh, Walking in a Winter Wonderland. You know that song? It's a weird song. It's a very weird song. I think I just make up my own words to these songs. Like I have my idea of what these words are. But no, who is Parson Brown? Who is this guy? And why do you know what a parson is? Maybe y'all knew this. I did not know what Parson Brown was. I thought it was a color. It's a person. It's a priest. It's a pastor. They named their snowman after a pastor. Don't name your snowman after me, please. But then the snowman's talking to them about who they're married to. And it's just a weird song. And so as I'm looking at the words of our song this morning, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, I was blown away by the history of this song. This is the oldest song that we're going to look at this week. 1,300 years ago. 1,300, century upon century, and it didn't start as a song. There was no instrumentation. We don't know who sung it. Uh, it wasn't even in English. It was written in Latin. So what was it? If it had no music, it wasn't sung, well, 1,300 years ago, what would happen? The monks would, would recite these, these lyrics as they would come into 
to their Vesper service the seven nights leading up to Christmas. And so they had seven verses, to, it's not the song, seven verses that they would read and they would chant these, these lyrics or these titles of the prophetic, prophetic names of Jesus. And so they would each night read a different one. And this is how it, they called it the, the O Antiphons is what it was called. These names of Jesus, O wisdom and Adonai, root of Jesse, king of David, dayspring, king of nations, and Emmanuel. So it started with seven verses, but from the monastery it became a poem. And in the 1800s, it was discovered by an Anglican priest, John Mason Neal. And he did a lot of translation work for songs and for hymns. And, and he discovered this poem and he put it to music. He translated it to English. And I learned that the first version of this song, as he translated it, was not O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'm hoping that we could change it back to how it was. I'm just kidding. But it was, I don't know if you knew this, Draw Nigh, Draw Nigh, Emmanuel. I guess it doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, but that's how it was translated. And, and it's pretty cool to think about that we're singing a song this morning that has been sung at Advent for centuries. 1,300 years in some shape or form. And I think it's important before we get into Mary's piece of this in Luke 1 to kind of take a step back and get a big picture of the song. Okay, this is not, this is not a holly jolly, rocking around the Christmas tree type of song. This is a somber, depressing song. I don't know if you've heard Kelly Clarkson's version. I think she kind of captures it. It's not there's not a lot of music. There's not a lot of Christmas themes. There's no jingle bells. I mean, there's no baby Jesus. Like, this is a pretty depressing Christmas carol. But what is the song all about? I mean, when you sing the song, you can feel the angst of the song. Something is not right, and we are waiting the angst of the, the yearning for someone, for God to come and to save us. I mean, every verse that starts with the word, oh. Like, what, what, are you, what are your kids doing when they say, oh, oh, daddy, please give me hot chocolate. Like, this deep longing, give us sugar. Like, that's what we want. Well, this is what the song is doing. That's what the oh is, this deep yearning for something. And, and each of the verses kind of describes this, this situation that Israel is in. And it's not a good situation that Israel is in. Verse 1, they're slaves and captives, and they're longing for God to come and to free them. Longing for their mourning and sadness to end, for the person who's going to come and wipe away their tears. In verse 2, they're longing for rescue that they live in the grave, the depths of hell, and Satan's tyranny, and they're longing to be rescued. Verse 3, the gloom, and there's darkness. Verse 4, there's strife and quarrels and division. I mean, this is the Charlie Brown of Christmas carols. I mean, it is, it is not a positive feeling song. It is waiting for something to change. They need the light to come, the key to come to get them out of prison, wisdom to come. That was in the first version of the song. Wisdom to come, peace to come. And from the perspective of the singer, if you go back to the song and you really look at it, 
the refrain that's repeated over and over, Emmanuel shall come, but he doesn't come in the song. Like, the song ends and nothing has changed with the situation of Israel who is singing the song. Their rejoice, rejoice is based on something that doesn't even happen during the song. And so they're longing for this to come. They're waiting. But the the key part of the refrain is the repetition of the self-talk, the command that they're telling themselves five times through each of the verses over and over, rejoice, rejoice. And so this is where we have to try to wrap our minds around what's really happening in this song. Like how, how is it possible? How is it possible to be glad and joyful and to rejoice, rejoice in the midst of a song that talks about all this captivity, all this mourning, all this gloom and darkness and strife? How can you be glad? I mean, that's a really important question. How is it possible that that someone can sing this song in mourning, yet at the same time, in repetition, close out every verse, rejoicing and rejoicing? How can we do that? How can we do that at Christmas? I mean, Christmas is a great time, but it's also a really hard time for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of times Christmas, the holidays, amplify what we don't have and what we miss. The first Christmas without my spouse, or the first Christmas going through this, this divorce, or first Christmas with the death of whoever it may be. And so oftentimes, Christmas, it, it is the best of times for some, but it is the worst of times for many, because it amplifies what we don't have that we used to have. And so for us, the question is, well, how can we rejoice? You know, I think of my my brother-in-law, Kurt, who's like a brother to me, who just lost his, his 50-year-old brother. And it was tragic. It was tragic. How can I tell him to rejoice in the midst of the mourning and the despair and the discouragement of lost? And we all have, we all have this some, some type of sadness and gloom and despair in our lives. And so how might we rejoice? That's what we want to look at. What does the song teach us? What does God's word teach us? How can we do this? And so to to look at this, two questions this morning. What's the basis of joy and what is the opposite of joy? What is the basis of joy and then what's the opposite of joy? So we have, each of us differently have these different bases of our own joy. Different things make different people happy. Um, I took Truman for his 10th birthday party. 10th birthday was this summer, but we celebrated it this last two weekends ago, and I took him down to Philly, and it was, it was wonderful. We went to a hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Philly, had some Japanese noodle soup. It was delicious. We went to an NBA game to see the Sixers. We went to City Hall and saw the trees and the lights and the ice rink, and, and it could have been my birthday. I mean, I love I love Japanese soup, and I love the NBA, and I especially love time with my son. I mean, that was the basis of my joy, and our joy through the whole night was all these things do, together that we get to do that we both love. But that's not really the question here. As we look at Israel, and then we look at Mary, 
what is the basis of their joy in the midst of so many awful things that are happening? When Truman and I go to Philly, we, things are great, things are good. But for Mary and for Israel in the song, things are in upheaval. Things are bad. What is the basis for their, for their joy when there's so much that's going wrong? Well, Mary tells us in verse 47, What's the basis of her magnifying the Lord, rejoicing? It's not her reputation. It's not that she gets to have a traditional wedding. She gets none of this. That's not her joy at all because she has none of that. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My God is my Savior. Emmanuel has come, not he shall come. She understood the waiting and the angst and the longing of Israel in the Old Testament from their sin, from their persecution, from their exile. She understood the waiting of Israel. And now what she's saying is, is my rejoicing is my God has come, my Savior that we have been waiting for and that we have been longing for, that the promised one has finally come. And in this, I can rejoice even though everything around me is not what I wanted or picture perfect or how I dreamed of. I can rejoice still because God is my Savior. And so we go back and we look at the song, what was the basis of joy for the Israelite? I mean, all these things are, are not good. Well, the basis of the rejoicing in the refrain are these theological titles, these Old Testament prophecies, promises of the coming one. And so these five titles are the source or the basis of the hope. And Mary's looking back at it saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of all these longings of Israel, and in that I rejoice. And so, just very briefly looking at the song, look at these theological titles, the rod of Jesse. Mary is saying, I rejoice because Jesus is the rod of Jesse, the rod that Israel looked forward to, is the rod of Jesse that I have today that is a baby. Now, what is what is a rod of Jesse? I was talking to Rod Niner at the first service, and I said, I thought a lot about you this week. This is, not, this is a name, this is a person to us, but in Hebrew, it's a word that means a little sapling tree. He liked that. He really liked that. Okay, but what's a little sapling tree from the line of Jesse, King David's father? And so what, that's nice. But what does that mean? Why should that give us, induce in us this rejoicing that Jesus is the rod of Jesse? Well, if you go back to the prophecy in Isaiah 11, 1, we kind of start to see the circumstances around it. And we don't have a lot of time, but 11, 1 says, I'll put it on the screen, there shall come forth a rod or a shoot, some versions say, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So in other words... Things are not looking good for the line of Jesse. What's the current description in 11 of how things are going? It is a stump. 
It is a stump of a tree. Now, I don't know if you're one of those families that likes to go and to cut down your Christmas trees. Uh, seems like a lot of work to me, but maybe that's you. You go, you pay a lot of money. It's a good tradition. You can do that. You cut down your tree, and then what's left? There's a stump. There's not a lot of hope in a stump. You don't bring the stump home with you. If you brought the stump home for your kids to decorate, what would they say? This is not a good sign. The stump is death. It's hopelessness. Just a stump sitting there. But this is the, this is the description that Isaiah uses to describe the hope of Israel. There's not a lot of hope for the line of Jesse. Okay, the king, Jehoiachin, had just been deported to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so the hope is, well, we are expecting one to come from this line, this, the king of David, this, this family. But it's nothing but a stump. And then Isaiah steps in and says, well, wait a second, there's hope. A rod is coming from the stump. In other words, a little sapling, a little tree is going to break through the decomposing stump. And it's coming. And it'll be a little flower tree, a little sapling will grow up out of this. And so this is what we see in the song, that they're waiting, Israel is waiting for the one to come through this, this, dead, this dead decomposing stump. And Mary's singing, her rejoicing is, Jesus is my rod, he is my hope. Things looked bleak and not hopeful, yet Jesus is my rod. The second verse is Jesus is our day spring. They're longing for the sun to come up. I mean, the picture in the song is, it is darkness and it is dysfunction. And we, we get this. All of us get the darkness and the dysfunction of relationships and our culture and our personal lives. Like we get this, this feeling of we live in darkness and the song is longing for a day, the day spring. Now, that's not a word we use often. Uh, it, it's just another word for the sun coming up, the sunrise. The day springs into being into the night and takes away all the deep darkness. My friend who lives in Florida has texted me two weeks ago that he was going to wake up his entire family, four little boys, and his wife, and they were going to go to the beach to watch Artemis launch from Florida to the moon. And he said the only problem was it was going to happen in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. But he was, convinced, he was set on doing this. He said, and Matt, you should watch the live stream of this. And I said, no, I will watch a video of this. But he told me the next day, he said he woke them all up. Little kids. Took them to the beach. They're sitting on the beach in their chairs watching this. And this is how he described this, this launch of Artemis. He said there was a sonic boom. He said the night turned to day. Brightness like the sun. But it was the rocket, not the sun. He said it was so loud that my youngest son thought that he was on the rocket. And I said, yeah, that would be frightening. But he sent me a picture of what, he, what they saw. And it's a pretty incredible picture. He said it felt like mid Day. It was 2 a.m., pitch black dark, yet all of a sudden they felt it and they saw what looked like in the middle of the afternoon. But th and this is a picture. This is, a, this is an illustration of what Israel is longing for. That, that the one would come that would give light, the sonic boom of noise and light into our darkness, the rising sun, that the kingdom 
would come. And what Mary is doing is she's saying, I'm not longing for it. I'm rejoicing that Jesus is the day spring. Zechariah prophesies, recognizes this in Luke chapter 1, that Jesus is the sunrise. That's what Zechariah says in Luke 1. He is the day spring that we have waited for. He has come. The third verse, this messianic title that's used is the key of David. Jesus is the key of David. And we don't, I could probably preach a whole sermon on this one prophecy. I mean, it is, is a fantastic prophecy that we don't often look to. Back in Isaiah 22, King Hezekiah, a righteous king of Judah, if you remember Hezekiah. But the problem with Hezekiah was is that his main advisor was wicked. Okay, the name of the advisor was Shebna. And when you have an ungodly lead chain of command advisor, bad things happen. He, he allowed people to come in and to make requests of the king. He was the one that set the king's schedule. He made a lot of really important decisions. And Shebna was wicked, selfish, completely selfish. And so it was having a negative impact on the people of God. And so Isaiah steps in and says, uh, I am taking the key of David, the key into the king's room, the access that you have, Shebna, the decisions that you can make, the access, the power, and the authority that you have to determine who sees the king and who doesn't see the king. I am taking the key of David, and I am transferring it to someone else. And that someone else in the story in Isaiah 22 is Eliakim. And he says that there's a new person, a new authority that's going to come, and it's going to be Eliakim. And what we see in the New Testament is that this is just a picture. But that's a picture in the Old Testament of someone, the transferring of power with the key of David. But in the New Testament, who holds the key of David? It's Jesus. Revelation 3.7. Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the power and the access to let us in and to see the Father. He is the one that has the promised key to our castle despair, as we talked about several weeks ago. And so... Again, Israel is longing for the ultimate access to the Father. We want to be with the Father, access to the Father. But because of our sin, and because of our persecution, and because of our sadness, we, we, ha we don't have ultimate access to the Father. And what Mary is saying here is, God is my Savior. That's why I re rejoice. Jesus is my Savior. I now have access to the Father through Jesus and then lastly, O come, O come, Emmanuel. I skipped king of nations. We don't have time. O come, O come, Emmanuel is the last one. And it goes right with the key of David. This is the best of the best. This is why we rejoice. This is why we can celebrate in despair over and over. The song says, Jesus is Emmanuel. He has come. What does it mean for Jesus to be Emmanuel? It means that Jesus is God, he is human, and he is with us. And, and this really should be an astonishing concept for us. Jesus is God, he's human, and he is with us. In the Old Testament, this, this would have been terrifying. Just think about Moses and Abraham. How did, how did God appear to Abraham, a burning furnace? How did God appear to Job as a whirlwind? Moses asked to see God, and what, did, what was the response? You will be killed if you see me. 
There was no being with God. If you were with God, you were terrified. And then we get to John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. We can now be with God without terror. And he doesn't come as a burning furnace. And he doesn't come as a whirlwind. He doesn't come as a burning bush. He doesn't come as a pillar of fire. What is he? He comes as a baby. He comes as a baby. He's not coming with judgment, but he's coming to take away our judgment. He's coming to take away our judgment so that we can have no barrier between us and God. The, the, what they longed for in Israel was we want to be with God, but we can't. And what Mary's rejoicing in is that, yes, now we can be with God. We can now be with him because of Jesus for all that he did, for all that he is. And so you see in the song, every name of Jesus, every prophecy, it is full of hope. And hope is what allowed them, causes them, is the basis of their rejoicing. Yes, we can rejoice even though things are tough because we have hope that this one is coming. And then for Mary, it's this one has come. What's the opposite of joy? Because you see in the song and with Mary, the opposite of joy, sometimes we think the opposite of joy is sadness, but that's not the case. The opposite of joy is hopelessness, and that's not what we see in these songs. We see how joy and sadness coexist in these songs, coexist in Mary's song, coexist in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Here, here's how Tim Keller says it. I think he says it perfectly. He says, joy is the ability to stay afloat on top of all those stormy waters. It's to be lightened. And that's why the Bible talks about. That's why Paul says, even though I have all these problems in my life, these slight momentary afflictions are outweighed by an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says, joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchangeable privileges of God. I mean, that's so well said. Joy is buoyancy that, yes, the pool is sadness, but we jump in and we rise to the top. The joy comes to the surface because it's buoyant. It transcends. Jesus is our rod. He is our day spring, our key, our king. He is with us and he is for us. And so we can be, it's possible it's likely that you're going to be sad and you're going to be joyful at, this, at the very same time. And that's what we kind of realize in this song, right? We, we can rejoice like Mary. Stay with me. We'll close with this. We can rejoice like Mary who says, my God is my Savior. He is my key. He, he is my sunrise. He is my, he is my Father. He is my Emmanuel. We can rejoice in those truths, yet at the same time, we all still feel the longing that Israel felt, don't we? That we can still say, oh, come, oh, come, that he has come, but it has only begun. It has only begun. Yes, the sun is risen. Yes, we're adopted. Yet we still long for him to come and to end the angst and the longing and the pain and the suffering. Death still snatches away, doesn't it? We still have diseases and Satan still prowls around and terrorizes us and our flesh still struggles and we have pain, we groan and we hurt. And so we can 
we can relate to both sides of the song. We can relate to Israel saying, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. God, come and fix this because we say the same thing. A couple of passages in the New Testament. I won't read them, but we we groan. Put the next slide up there. We groan, waiting. for. We can, we can relate to the song that says, hey, things aren't right here. And I know it's Christmas, but I still hurt because my loved one's not here. Or I still struggle with this. Or I still feel this type of sadness. And so, yes, God, come. Yet at the same time, we can also rejoice that he has come. He has come, like Mary rejoices in Luke 1. And so really, when we sing this song, it's this weird mixture of sorrow and joy together. But there's truth that's, that's deeply profound and impactful in our lives, that Jesus is all those titles. He is the fulfillment of all the titles in the song, yet at the same time, it's not been fulfilled and completed yet. And so that, may that be our thought process and our heart and our prayer when we sing the song. Yes, I'm joyful, yet I'm also sorrow, full of sorrow. I, th- I was thinking about Charlie Brown this week. And at the end of the story, Charlie Brown says, in a very Charlie Brown way, he says, everything I do turns into disaster. I mean, I can't even decorate. Everyone, my dog is, is mean to me. Like, he, he is just depressed and he is discouraged about everything. And he says, at the very end of the story, he says, I don't even know what Christmas is all about. Like, if this is what Christmas is all about, I don't even know what it is. And then good old Linus steps up and he reads scripture and he says, let me tell you what Christmas is about. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So when life feels like a disaster, when nothing can go right, we can still rejoice. Why? Born unto this day in the city of David, a Savior is born. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so may that, may we oscillate and struggle with these two tensions. Yes, he's come and we rejoice in that, but we are sad that things still aren't right. And may we sit there, may we wrestle with both, but may we close the song with the, the refrain, rejoice, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you have come, that you sent Jesus, and he is the fulfillment of all the great prophecies of the Old Testament. That he's our day spring and our key of David. That Jesus is Emmanuel. He is our rod, that he is the sapling that has come up from the the dead and dying stump. And so, God, we do rejoice like Mary rejoiced. You are our Savior. You sent Jesus to save us. And yet at the same time, God, we long for you. We groan and wait as we still live in the midst of pain and suffering and death 
and disappointment. And so, God, I pray that as we close with this song, that you would teach us and help us, empower us to be able to rejoice even when things aren't perfect. Even though we struggle and even though we're sad, may we rejoice because our rejoicing is buoyant. It rises above because your saving of us through Jesus is the greatest thing there is. And so, God, I pray that you would teach us to rejoice and to sing like that. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.